good day and welcome to the FIFA World Cup show wherever you're tuning in to this episode from whether you are in the USA on the African continent North America South America Asia Europe and Oceania welcome to your most exciting informative an educative sports show on the calling platform with yours truly Philip Alimo and I've got immense love for sports and I'm sure so do you and on tonight's episode we will be looking at the ongoing 2022 women's African Cup of Nations tournament currently being hosted in Morocco from the 2nd of July to the 23rd of july this month and with me in the studios to do the discussions and all the analysis is one of our own and very reputable guests and no other person to in fact discuss matters when it comes to women's football on the african continent earlier in our series of hosting personalities and hosting personalities and having interviews with them and picking their thoughts on the beautiful game she joined us on one of our episodes to discuss the history of women's football and the journey so far and tonight we have no other person than madame Rosalind amu with us uh, to discuss the ongoing women's african cup of nations but just before we pick madame Rosalind's thoughts I would like to give you a few background on the whip on the ongoing tournament and the whole thing behind the women's african cup of nations so the tournament has been hosted in morocco and also doubles as the african qualifiers to the 2023 fifa women's world cup the top four teams will qualify for the world cup in australia and new zealand and two more teams will advance to the inter-confederation playoffs nigeria are the three-time defending champions having won the previous three editions in 2014 2016 and 2018 this is the first edition to feature 12 teams as the 2020 edition which would have been the first was cancelled due to the covid 19 pandemic and this particular tournament had three groups so for group a we had Morocco, Senegal, Burkina Faso, and Uganda making Group A and Group B. We had Zambia, Cameroon, Tunisia, and Togo making up Group B. And Group C had South Africa, Nigeria, Botswana, and Burundi. Madam Rosalind, good evening and welcome to the show. So far, so good. What are your impressions? of the ongoing women's african cup of nations and i'm sure you miss your beloved black queens mm-hmm. in this particular tournament yes certainly we we all miss I'm, I'm sure any person who has followed women's football will miss the the exciting game that the black queens bring to the competition but like i said we were not able to pick our invitation to the party and therefore the party must go on. And indeed, 
um, from the games that have been played from the group stages to this point, there is every indication that women's football is fast developing and progressing on the continent. And it is no longer the preserve of only a few sides that are either blessed with talent and skill or are blessed with the resources to do it. Once you, you are intentional and deliberate about your development and progress, I am sure you'd make a way. The likes of Burundi, the likes of Botswana have shown that you don't need too much resources to, to plan. All you need to do is to be intentional and deliberate and have um, a dedicated group of people to carry out the agenda, and I'm sure you will make it. And so we are seeing the progress of the game on the sub-regional continent. So for South, Southern Africa, we have seen the improvement, the Kusafa Games, which is held every year or every two years, is having on their play to the point that now you can have Botswana qualifying ahead of even Zimbabwe. Zambia have also come and they've picked their first World Cup tickets following it up um, with a, a qualification for the Olympic Games last year. Um, we've seen the North Africans too. I mean, in the past, religious um, setbacks or religious holdbacks, in fact, affected their play. But this time around, we've seen that they are opening up. And now the uh, Morocco in the previous years failed, I mean, struggled to qualify. They decided to put their resources at the um, Ex, um, at the expenses of um, Africa by hosting it and they've hosted it now. They have also, through that, qualified for their first Women's World Cup. And so the, the story is like that. These days you can no longer say that women's football is the preserve of only a few ones. Definitely, you can't say that women's football is a preserve for only a few ones. And uh, so far in this tournament, which country has been your surprise uh, uh, pick in terms of performance? Well, um, I would say that for the teams that have are, are, are through to probably um, the next level of the um, competition, I it came as no surprise because we all know the caliber and the quality they bring. But if I have to pick one side or two sides, I think I will pick both Botswana and, um, and Senegal because um, we, we, we had underrated the Botswanese or the, the mess as they call themselves. They are nicknamed. I mean, they are very young. This is their very first qualification to the AFCON. And already out of the 12 teams, they were among the, I mean, they were one of the best third place sites. And so they qualified from a difficult group C side to go into then to get to the quarterfinal. And we all saw how they grilled, I mean, Zambia before they were able to, they grilled um, Morocco before they were, the Moroccans were able to win the 2-1. They are fearless. They, they, they are not intimidated. And look at the quick succession. They also replied to the Moroccans. And I believe that, but for the, the, some of the calls of the referees, the Botswanese would have given Morocco a very good run up for their money. But unfortunately, 
they pay for their inexperience and naivety and eventually they lost out. But I think that if I should pick a new side that have done very well, they showed consistency, they showed that they were not intimidated. I'll give it to the um, Botswanese. The Senegalese too, this is only their second women's AFCON after making an appearance at the 2012 event. But I think they came in a bit strong and just that they also at a point, maybe they didn't understand the stakes, but the fact that they were able to push the game to that extra time should tell us that they had come to fight. But unfortunately, the Zambians proved a bit more experienced. They knew how to do it and they had to back Definitely, uh, they met a much more experienced side, and they had to bow out of penalties. Yeah. So I was, I was saying that I mean the Senegalese perhaps didn't prepare well or anticipate that the game would be pushed into um, penalty kicks because after throwing in everything, it was very disappointing to see how they fumbled with their kicks. And maybe they, they had given up at that time. And sometimes, you know, when it comes to those things, your body language and everything is indicative. The Zambians had been to the Olympic Games before. They played several other competitions. And so I think they knew what they were going in for. And you saw the way they were organized. They were energized and all that. And psychologically, they won the kicks even before they had kicked their first ball. And so that was it. But I think that's on the whole. I mean, for the newcomers, I would always give it to the the Botswana and um, Senegal. I think they, they did very well, irrespective of how they missed out at the quarterfinals. Definitely. And uh, I know you've spoken, you just spoken about Senegal and uh, Botswana, but we'll take each group uh, from Group A, Group B, Group C, and then I would, I would pick your thoughts. So Group A at Morocco, Senegal, Burkina Faso, and Uganda. Just a quick recap of the games. Morocco topped that group with nine points, uh, winning all three games. And uh, second was Senegal with six points, and Burkina Faso one point, Uganda as well as one point. Morocco beat Burkina Faso in the opening game by a lone goal. Senegal beat Uganda by two goals to nil. Burkina Faso lost by a lone goal to Senegal. Uganda were beaten 3-1 by Morocco. Morocco beat Senegal by a lone goal. Burkina Faso drew 2-2 with Uganda. And from that group, Morocco and Senegal progressed to the knockout stages. And uh, you just spoken about Senegal and how they impress you in the tournament. And you just also spoke about Morocco and the investments yeah, they've made in women's football. In women's football by hosting this current tournament, even though they've missed out on previous editions. And what do you make of this current group in terms of Group A, uh, the performance of the teams? Well, well, I think, before, I mean, right from the start, when the, the draw was conducted, I, I said that it was an easy pick for Morocco, and then it would I would have to wait and see the other contestants before I would decide. But by, by the second game, my new Senegal were going to be there. I was disappointed um, with the performance of Uganda because 
I thought they were a very strong side from Sekafa, the Central and East African side. Um, for them to have edged out the likes of Kenya and all that, so I thought they had a little bit of the um, WAFCON experience that they were going to bring in, but apparently it looks like organization-wise, things haven't gone too well for them, and so they lost out. But for Morocco, it comes as no surprise at all. Philip, we shouldn't forget that the Moroccans are one of the few nations that are hoping that they can host and win the WAFCON. You know, apart from Equatorial Guinea, who hosted and won in 2008 and 2012, no other country has hosted and won. The best has been being in the finals, and that one you give it to South Africa and Cameroon. Cameroon in 2016, and then South Africa in the other ones, 2000, 2004, and all that. Nigeria are the only side that have gone anywhere and have won it. And so Morocco have pumped in a lot of I mean, resources, right from the under-17 to the under-20 to their women's team. And they've kept this team together for the past two years. In fact, three years. It's, it started off in 2016-17 when they then decided that they wanted to host the tournament because qualification had become a challenge for them. And so they've put the team together. And because of that, as part of their development, they also made sure that they formed women clubs. And so you have most of their players playing between Casablanca and Rabat. And so it is always easier for them. Only, I think, one or two or three people play outside. But all the players are playing amongst themselves, especially for ASFA, of, I mean, AS, um, USFA of Rabat, which we normally call ASFA. ASFA. So they have put in, and look at the coach they've gone in for. Uh, and for women's football, for a coach to be taking investment, so they cannot afford to host and not progress. And so they are progressing in this competition, or even from the group stage, stopping it easily didn't come to me as a surprise at all. Burkina Faso are on and off. I mean, I've seen a little bit of them during the qualifying campaign and all that. I mean, they are inconsistent, and so it came as no surprise. Perhaps, perhaps they are also struggling with the the challenges at home. Sometimes, you know, when there are political challenges, it has an impact on the team and because most of them were based in france they may not have gotten the opportunity to come together to train and prepare well before heading to morocco and so that should that had an impact on them but if you see their the skill and the talent we know that if i mean with over time and with the right attitude and support they will be a force to reckon with just like they are young men and uh, for group b it has Zambia, Cameroon, Tunisia, and Togo, with Zambia topping the group with seven points, followed by Cameroon, five points, Tunisia, three points, and Togo, one point. Cameroon were held to a goalless draw with against Zambia, and Tunisia beat Togo by four goals to one. Zambia beat Tunisia by a lone goal. Togo, Burkina Faso, drew 1-1. Cameroon beat Tunisia by two goals to nil. Zambia beat Togo by four goals to one. And from that group, Zambia, Cameroon, and Tunisia progressed. Tunisia qualified by virtue of being one of the best third-place teams in that group. 
and uh, Madam Rosling, uh, I know Cameroon, they've done a lot in terms of women's football. And uh, Zambia, for me personally, has been my surprise pick. Uh, Zambia caught my eye uh, during last year's Women's yes, Olympics. I mean, and uh, uh, this year, uh, they qualified for the Women's WAFCON and also booked their first tickets uh, to the Women's World Cup, which will be taking place next year in Australia and New Zealand. But one key player in Zambia who wasn't part of this tournament is uh, Banda. And uh, for the purposes of, of my audience, it, yes, ba Barbara Banda, who plays a club football in China. And uh, for the purposes of my audience, who'll be wondering why she wasn't, she played at the Olympics, but couldn't take part in the, in the women's WAFCON for issues of uh, gender test and all. It will be very grateful if you just give us a brief um, highlight of that. I mean, the Zambia Cameroon making it straight away from group B didn't come as a surprise at all. For me, I, I was even, I was even disappointed by the Cameroonians because between the two sides, they are the most experienced side. Cameroon have attended every women's Cup of Nations except the 2000 and I think 2002. They have been there, whether they miss out at the group stages or not. They are always there and they are always among the top three, top four, top three, top four. They have a depth of experience. But then when I looked at the player list, I realized that the, the team has seen a lot of changes. Almost all the experienced players that we saw in 2016 and 2018 are missing and they have been replaced with many more of the their under-20 side. And so I think the transition have not been very smooth for them. For the Zambians, they were only picking up from where they left off in 2018 and then 2019, when they eventually qualified for the 2020 um, Olympic Games, but had to be suspended because of the COVID, and then it was shifted to 2021. So whatever we've seen of the Zambians, is a, is a replication of what they gave when they went to the Tokyo Games. And so that shouldn't have come as a surprise at all. We saw them perform there. And I'm sure if um, but that was Barbara Bibi, as we, we call her, was still with the team, um, it would have been the same story. Um, for me, perhaps Cameroon uh, are rebuilding their team and so they only pushed through. The, for the group, if you look at the three groups, I said um, they, they were the easy picks. Togo, we know Togo are debutants. They hadn't prepared very well. And so they wouldn't be able to beat the, the match, the skills, and the, the, the tenacity of the two top teams. Tunisia always, I mean, they flatter to deceive. They've never really been a very strong side. They've been a bit constant when it comes to making appearances at the AFCON. They were there in 1999, and then they made two more appearances. Afterwards, they've not been able to qualify. So being in Morocco was a big deal for them. And, you know, because the Moroccans themselves were hosting, they had to get a North African representation. And among the other North African countries, Algeria and Egypt, Tunisia were the better organized side, and they came in. It is no surprise that they made it as one of the best um, to um, third place side. But Philip, I mean, even before we go on to talk about their final quarterfinal game, 
I, I know that this will be the end of the road for the Tunisians. They will not be able to go past because they don't have the depth and quality that their opponents at this, at this stage have. Definitely. And talking of depth and quality, Group C exhibited that. And I will tell you why Group C exhibited that. Uh, the South Africa, Group C uh, is made up of South Africa, Nigeria, Botswana and Burundi. South Africa topped that group uh, with nine points, followed by Nigeria, six points, Botswana, three points, and Burundi with none. And uh, South Africa spanked Nigeria by two goals to one in the opening game of that group. Uh, Botswana beat Burundi by four goals to two. South Africa beat Burundi by three goals to one. Botswana lost by two goals to nil to Nigeria. South Africa beat Botswana by a lone goal and Nigeria beat but Burundi by four goals to nil. And uh, that is it in terms of Group C. And uh, the reason why I said Group C was made of depth and quality, Nigeria is a powerhouse when it comes to women's football. And uh, they've always proven to be hard nuts uh, for many of the women's teams across the continent. But South Africa... And I watched that game beat the Falcons of Nigeria with East until they grabbed uh, a consolation goal. Uh, Madam Roslyn, what is your assessment of that group? And uh, what did you make of that game between the two powerhouses, South Africa, the Bayana Bayana ladies and the Super Falcons of Nigeria? Okay, so let me start. South Africa probably for me represents what's women's football development on the continent stands for. Um, since 1998, they have been deliberate and intentional. And I think every four or five years, they set their goals. And in the last six years, their goal had been to, as much as they can, develop to the highest level, qualify for all international competitions, and try as much as they can to win the Women's AFCON, which is the Prize, ultimate prize for the continental competition. And so since 2014-15, when they decided that they were recruiting the Zerealists, before then they had tried with other coaches, then they decided that, look, they were ready to support and go that trade with the Zerealists. And so they brought her on and they've given her, I mean, let's say, let's all agree that the South Africans are as poor for choice when it comes to resources. They have all the resources at their disposal. And so all they needed was that technical grit and consistency. And I think Desiree, as a former player herself, has brought that onto the, the, the performance of the team. And so the consistency has shown. I mean, whatever panned out in, in their opening Group C game, Philip, let me remind our cherished audience that it is only a repetition of what happened in the 2018 competition when they were based in Cape Coast. You know, they, they won the opening game. And I hope that this time around, it doesn't end up being the same story. You, op- you, won- you win the group, we win the trophy, the Nigerians will tell you. They beat the Nigerians then, and this year they have also beaten them. I mean, and it's not only the first time. They had also, before they came to Morocco, they had beaten them 
in Lagos when they held the um, Nigeria hosted the Aisha Buhari Cup. So that was last September, September 2021. And from that time, the South Africans haven't lost a game. I think their worst performance is a draw or something. And so they are only improving upon that. And it, it only shows the deliberate and intentional efforts put in to ensure that a team, a winsome team, is put together. And that, that is the South Africans. Once they beat the Nigerians, I mean, we all knew that they were going to top the group because the others would be no much. Burundi, as the Britons, I mean, we're only lucky because of the kind of draw that had been brought in for them to qualify. Otherwise, the team, there were other teams that probably would have qualified ahead of them. Botswana is understandable. Botswana beats um, Zimbabwe and all the, those Lesotho and all those groups within that area. And Botswana have been also consistent because they are enjoying from the, the, the Kosafa plan where they organize competitions and all that. And now, if I think after South Africa, Botswana, Namibia are one of the, uh, some of the best teams in the Southern African enclave. And so it came as no surprise at all. But with big, big mama Nigeria around, there was very little that the mayors could do and than to succumb and ensure that at least they finished sec- they finished third place. And so that was how it was. I mean, we all knew it was going to be a tough tie between South Africa and Nigeria. But once that opening game was won by the Bayana Bayana ladies, we knew how the group was going to pan out. And it has come as no surprise at all. But for Nigeria, we know that they know how to win the women's AFCON. Philip, they know how to win it. And that is how come today I was watching with rapt attention to see what the Cameroonians would have brought. And it's, it's unfortunate that after 10 meetings, 10 women's AFCON meetings between the two sides, the Cameroonians have not been able to figure out how to beat, I mean, Nigeria. The South Africans have done that. The Cameroonians have not been able to do that. And again, especially this time around, with a ticket to the World Cup at stake, there was no way the Nigerians were going to allow the Cameroonians to overpower them. And we all saw it happen in their, in their quarterfinal game. And so the Nigerians are on their way to their ninth Women's World Cup and their 11th Women's AFCON semifinal. And that is the story, Philip. What a, what a beautiful what a, what story a, it is. And uh, you use a particular term and uh, it, it struck me so much about the dominance of the, of the Super Falcons. You said Big Mama Nigeria. And uh, speaking of Big Mama, uh, the Women's AFCON, uh, there's been 54 goals scored in 21 games and an average of 2.57 goals per game as at, of, as at 13th July 2022. And the top goal scorers of the tournament is uh, Rashida Ajibat with three goals, followed by Morocco's Chibak also with three goals. And uh, their number of players with two goals and a goal each. Uh, uh, speaking of the number of goals that has been scored so far in the competition, uh, Madam Rosalind, would you say the women's football has come of age on the continent that uh, will need an expanded uh, women's African Cup of Nations from the current you 12 know, teams? 
you know we have just expanded it. It used to be eight teams and it's been just expanded to 12 this season. So we are waiting to see what the Confederation of African Football will do because now if they, they are deliberate about developing the women's game, I'm sure there will be the need for us to have more than the 12 teams that we currently have because it is because of the qualification procedure and all that that as a country like Ghana, uh, um, the Ghana Black Queens are missing from the tournament because now they are doing so based on um, sub-regional competitions. And that is not, I mean, that does not augur well for the, the image of the competition. The other thing is also that, I mean, comparatively, uh, more goals were scored in the past. I mean, on, on the other side, more goals were scored in the past and so you would have a, um, a player ending up with eight or seven goals. And perpetual coacher of Nigeria is the highest scorer when it comes to the women's AFCON. Um, last, the last AFCON when um, Katlana, Tenbi Katlana, the South African striker, won. She won with five goals because it looks like she scored in, um, one, um, a goal in each of the games she played in. And she ended up being the best player of the competition as well as the top striker. Um, already we have three goals and we have um, Rashid, uh, Rashida Ajibade and then Jislin Chibak who, um, of Morocco who are leading. Um, Rashida has played her third game, her fourth game of this competition. I mean, until today, I thought she she wasn't going to score many goals because she, she scored two goals in three games. And with the absence of Ashisha Oshola, we were hoping that she would have taken up the role of the, the lead striker for the Nigerians and would be banging in the goals. But um, I think the role that she's been playing or the, either the role that she's been playing has limited her or she has just not been lucky with the goals. But today, she scored the most important goal. And I think it's, that is what matters most when you are a scorer of important goals, you are remembered more for it than scoring many goals that would take your side nowhere. And let's see how the and semifinals and the finals will go for her. Definitely. We will come to the knockout uh, 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 games. That will be for tomorrow. But uh, for today, uh, speaking of Ashola, Ashola got injured uh, uh, during the, the start of the tournament. And... Uh, what do you think has contributed to the injuries in this particular uh, uh, tournament? I think for Ashola, um, I don't know, but you know, she wasn't, she had some injury before she recovered in time for Barcelona and then she headed into Nigeria. We, I don't know whether it is psychological. There is, I mean, the very first day of the match against South Africa, when they were coming right from the bus, I, I, I just told myself that there, there seemed to be a weight of expectation on her. I don't know whether she was not ready, but I mean, the body language didn't sit too well for me. And unfortunately, she got injured and had to be taken off. And that, that was the end of her participation in the competition. Um, she's gone back to Barcelona to receive medical treatment. But I think that after, I mean, having been the star striker for the team, perhaps, I mean, she is, she is nearing the twilight of her career. She's played about four or five AFCONs. 
and so she will be eventually coming to the end of it but i would have loved to see her they see her do the things that she she does for barcelona um, we don't know what happened but they said it's a ligament and you know that with ligaments you cannot joke with it you need to go and get make sure that you get well treated for it we don't know whether she's just going to go through treatment or she's going to have a surgery but i think it's it's a sad as it for her i mean the last time she was in in, in ghana she also didn't really shine so well for the falcons even though they went all the way to win she was not able to outshine i mean shine as much as we thought she would and this time around she's again out and so it is unfortunate but like we say it's always a, a blessing in disguise when i mean for your abs her absence will also mean that somebody is also going to step up to the opportunity giving her and we are seeing that already in the likes of if your ma i mean and then Ichebe. rashida we all know because we saw her when she played in the under 20 women's world cup in 2018 and so we we know what rashida brings to the table and we have seen her matured now and she's taking up the rule I mean, over time, I'm sure at the next World Cup she's going to do, or even at this competition, now that they are relaxed about qualifying for the World Cup and so close to us, I mean, close to the semi-final and the final, I can only imagine what will happen in the subsequent, in the subsequent games for Nigeria. Hello, Madam Rosaline. Hello, Madam Hello. Rosaline. Yes, we lost you a bit. Yes, we lost, I'm here. Y- yes, I can hear you now, but I lost I the know. last part of your, of, your, of your... Yeah, my, my, I was saying that, I mean, it's unfortunate that Ashisha is out because of the injury. We, we haven't been told the extent of damage other than they're saying that there's been a ligament tear and we know that with ligament tears, you either have to undergo surgery or you have to go off for a while for it to completely heal again. So we await news from the Nigerian camp, but from what we have been told, Barcelona have asked that she be, she returns to Barcelona for her to be treated by their medical team. And so she's already left for, I mean, Barcelona. So we are hoping that it's not as bad as we, we are imagining so that she can recover in good time and rejoin both her club and also prepare for her country for the next World Cup. Definitely. And talking of preparation, uh, do you think this tournament is a good platform and avenue for a possible uh, transfer to some of the notable leagues across the world and in Europe, especially for in this period uh, in the men's football? This is the uh, window for or transfer in terms of moving from one club to the other. And uh, the women's AFCON, is it also a possibility for many of these outstanding and bright talents to uh, make a shift or a move from the clubs that they presently play for? Ideally, that should be so. But you know that the women's game is not the same as the men's game. For the men's game, because of the demands and the expectations of the various clubs, the scouts are always out there looking for possible replacements. For the women's game, I think they are trying to develop the homegrown policy first before they they extend it. So much as they may be following with a keen interest, 
the women's staff con is usually not the best place that they go scouting. They they now do it for the world platforms, and but I'm hoping that um, things will change, and now people will follow or the the various clubs will follow because in the past, after some of the Afcons, we've seen some scouts come around and. I mean, getting showing interest in the services of some of the players. It is, it is a possibility, but I haven't seen it on a large scale like we see of the men in the past. And I'm only hoping, because I'm not in Morocco, it's difficult for you to judge, but I can only imagine that a number of the players, I mean, if they are released by their clubs or if their clubs allow them to go, may get some good contracts. Um, for, for the big European clubs, it's always difficult for them to go into, go there and make an impact because currently the policy is for them to develop their own homegrown players before when the players are there in Nexus, they open up their, their doors to the foreign players. And so you realize that for clubs like, I mean, the teams in England and um, Germany and all that, if you are not within that area of jurisdiction, it is difficult for you to leave from Africa and go in there. Definitely. And uh, uh, looking at the tournament so far, we are wrapping up. Which team, or in terms of the players, have been your discovery of the tournament the play, for the players and then your most outstanding player from the group stage to the knockout, to the knockout, to the qualification of the knockout stages. So first Philip, your discovery would, and then your best I would, player. I would disappoint you. I I think that because I have watched them and followed almost all the players, I haven't seen any exceptional performance from any of the players. I mean, for instance, if I I talk about Rashida Ajibadi, I am talking to you about a player who burst onto the scene in 2018 and who is I mean, considered as one of the, the the good players now. And so we expect so much of her, especially when Ashisha is not there. If you talk about Tembi Katlana, she was the best player at a very young age. And I think for her first women's AFCON, she was crowned the best player and then the, the top striker, the top scorer for the tournament. So when she comes to Morocco for her second tournament, I'm expecting her to give up the same. I mean, if you talk, perhaps, perhaps we can talk about Ayana of Morocco and then um, Giseline um, Shibak. But having seen them at the, I mean, in their preparations as well as for the uh, Maiden Camp Champions League, I am not surprised that they are they are performing the way they have. Um, perhaps if there was a, a player that we did not know of, and then suddenly that player burst onto the scene. I will be celebrating here. But for this is for, I mean, this is a, a, a national competition, an international competition. The best is the assembling of the best of, or among the best. And so if you are here, you have to be very exceptional for you to be celebrated as such. For now, I haven't seen that. But technically, the, the technical people will tell me that because you don't have those eyes, you may not see but for me, I think that they have all played their roles expected of them. And maybe in the semifinals going into the finals, when they step up to the plate and are able to do, carry the, the entire team on their shoulders, 
then I can say that I'm celebrating them. But for, for now, I think that they have just played the role expected of them as national team players. And let's, let's, I, I don't really like to hype the players because my, my challenge and my personal observation over the years is that sometimes when you do that, they get complacent, they get swollen-headed, and they are not able to give off their very best. And so I like to celebrate them as they, they come along, as they progress, instead of overhyping them and overtooting their credentials. And then at the end of the day, when they are not able to meet those expectations, you think they have flopped. I would want to be patient with them, celebrate them on this modest note. But it is my expectation. I expect a lot from them because they are national team stars. And so when they, 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 they deliver... I, I am not overjoyed. It is when they disappoint that I also get disappointed and probably will say that, look, I expected more from them. But for now, they've all played their roles so well. Let's see how the subsequent games go. Maybe at the end of the competition, when you are gracious enough to let me come back for a review of the, the entire tournament, we'll be talking about those people who won the individual awards. Definitely. And as always, uh, we are very gracious to have you on the platform and i'm very excited that uh it's something that is a continuous uh uh feature where we will have you from time to time uh join us analyze uh, various aspects of the development of women's football but uh on tonight's episode we are blessed and grateful to have enjoyed your succinct analysis and uh, we'll continue tomorrow where we'll look at the knockout stages of the competition in detail where we'll look at the quarterfinal games that have been played and we will also look into the semifinals and what to expect uh, at the next stage of the competition. Uh, to my cherished audience, uh, as always, it's been a pleasure coming your way with today's episode of the FIFA World Cup show. Remember, we are building up to the Women's World Cup that will be taking place next year in New Zealand and Australia. Until our next episode tomorrow, keep well and it's bye for now.